0: Alright, Jeter uses an expression in his treatment as we pursue our design to look at Baptist distinctive. Jeter uses the term incidental points <laughs> or I prefer further considerations and I would like to take up some further considerations Uh, concerning this matter of communion. I I realize that we've been spending a good bit of time on this particular topic and uh, I think that it is necessary uh, for our instruction we are in times when most churches, as I have said, I think I said in the last lecture, and I've said it before, but I'll say again, most churches simply ignore the whole subject. They just don't do it, and they don't practice it, they don't talk about it. I'm talking about congregations that are named Baptists. Uh, they just simply uh, don't. I remember in my years before, uh, how very long I would go. Sometimes uh, most Southern Baptist churches, we had breaking bread once a year. Of course, different churches had it. Some churches had it more often. Churches I was in, First Baptist churches, had it once a year. And if you just happened to be sick or on vacation or couldn't make it that one year, then you'd be two years without breaking bread. And, uh, you know, till the next time came around, and uh, So I realize that for many, many, many today, this is a, a dull and worthless topic, but for us it certainly is not. We break bread at least once a month. Uh, that's not something we dictate or mandate for others. We That's what this congregation has agreed seems appropriate for us in our circumstances, but uh, it's an important it's an important matter. And of course, what Jeter in his uh, treatment that we've been following more or less, uh, Baptist Principles Reset by Jeremiah Bell Jeter. What Jeter is dealing with is uh, uh, Baptist distinctives. He has much to say on this matter of communion, breaking of bread, Lord's table, whichever terminology you want to use. Uh, because it was in his day, uh, a great uh, controversy. And of course, much of what he deals with is the situation of, of, well, as Baptists, we believe in, uh, a regenerate church membership. We believe that baptism is a prerequisite, uh, to the breaking of bread. And we believe that membership is a prerequisite, uh, to, oh, sorry. Yes, membership is a is a prerequisite to, to breaking bread, also, and uh, that that's important for us. Of course, regeneration and a new birth is a prerequisite for baptism. Then baptism is a prerequisite for breaking bread. But then we also further hold that membership is a prerequisite for breaking bread in any particular. Congregation. Uh, so Jeter takes up, by way of further considerations, this this question about, well, what about though? And we haven't talked about it, to my knowledge. Uh, what about those that meet the requirement of having had a uh, a sound? They have a sound profession. Of their salvation. Repentance and faith. Conversion experience. And. Have had. Believers baptism. But they are not. Members in. A Baptist church. At all. Maybe members in a. Pedo Baptist church. But certainly not members in. A, a local church. Why. Are they not subject to break bread with us? If someone has a credible profession, has made that public profession, has undergone a, what we would consider a biblical mode of baptism, and, but they're members somewhere else, why are they not, why would that particular party not be uh, allowed to break bread with us, well, Jeter takes that up, and he says this uh, well, just let me follow my notes i, I I've said that if, if put it to put it another way to you, it may well be asked if our doctrine and practice in these matters, these matters of profession, baptism etc., if our doctrine and our practice in these matters is sound, then why may not others who may be even members of pado congregations or in Baptist churches where their practices are different from ours, why may not they commune with us, drink bread with us? It's a fair question. It's a very fair question, and there are circumstances in which it would and could be asked, uh, even here locally that I know of in our own, in our own uh, area. Jeter responds to the fair question. He says, faith and baptism on page 113, faith and baptism are conditions, uh, Precedent of a participation of the Lord's Supper. But they are not the only terms of admission to it. It's because a person has had a credible profession of faith, conversion experience, and a biblical baptism. Jeter says that is not all that should be required for participation. We have endeavored to show that the supper is a feast within and not without a church designed for all its members and only for its members. Now he goes on to say, or for members of other churches maintaining the same condition because he practiced close communion but we practice close communion. So I put the period after the word members. We have endeavored to show that the supper is a feast within and not without a church designed for all its members and only for its members. The exercise of discipline and the privilege of communion are co-extensive. The exercise of discipline and the privilege of communion go hand in hand. If they do not, you don't have, in my view, a biblically structured Baptist church. He says, in the apostolic churches, none were permitted to commune who were not subject to ecclesiastical discipline. Paul in the exercise of his apostolic authority required the church at Corinth to put away from among them the incestuous uh, member and afterwards when he furnished proof of his repentance to restore him to their fellowship. That's all in 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 2. This transgressor was for a time excluded from a participation in the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 4.11 By common consent, this act of exclusion from a church is called excommunication, that is, expulsion from the communion. So thoroughly is this truth embedded in the popular mind That communion and church membership are expressions used interchangeably. A member of a Presbyterian or Episcopal church is called a communicant of that church. Piety and baptism do not constitute one a member of the Baptist church. Just because you really are a true believer, and you have piety, as we use that term in human, human sense. Piety and baptism as well does not constitute you a member in a Baptist church. He must, in order to become a member of it, seek admission into it, adopt its essential principles, and submit to its discipline. Okay, so there's all of that. By the way, in my opinion, (laughs) that last statement of his, I'm not at all sure how he can make that statement and hold to close communion. It seems to exclude the possibility of close communion. He must, he said, in order to become a member of of it, seek admission into it, adopt its essential principles, and submit to its discipline. So these are the things required for for one to break bread together. They need to be communion and discipline go together. They must. They must go together. I mean, what method does the church the church have of disciplining people? What can we do to those who are publicly uh, shaming the gospel and the name of the Lord? What recourse do we have to them except this that we bar them from communion in the breaking of bread? Now, if we have, if we are going to do that, it must be that they have voluntarily submitted themselves to that order. They have submitted, willful, willingly, subjected, subjected themselves, submitted themselves to discipline of the church and to that order of discipline. So Jeter says, it, just because you have had a conversion experience, and followed that conversion experience with a public profession, and a public baptism that was done properly, even all of that does not constitute you a communicant with any particular body. You must apply for it, agree to its principles, and submit to its discipline. And which is a word, as you know, that has all but disappeared from our modern churches anyway. Then, uh, Jeter has some further considerations of concerning our view of these brethren who we believe are not eligible to break bread with us. On 116, he said it may be pleaded in behalf of these inconsistent Baptists. that is those that will just allow folks to run around and break bread with whomever, it it may be pleaded in behalf of these inconsistent Baptists that they are pursuing the course dictated by their consciences. We are not considering specially what is their duty, but what is the duty of the church in regard to them. We do not judge these irregular. Baptists, that is people who would go around and do this. We consider them in error, but what allowance is to be made for their lack of information, their temperaments, their associations and their particular circumstances, we know not. In other words, Jeter said, I'm not sitting in judgment on these people. I don't know what's in their heart. I I have no comment with regard to their lack of information, their ignorance, their untaught, uh, their, their associations, their temperament, I make no comment on any of that. Their master will judge them. Let them have due respect for their conscientious convictions. These may govern their own conduct. But they are no guide for the churches. Just because you think you have liberty to do this, and you can come with an open heart and good, clean conscience and say to a body, look, I don't have a problem with communing with you. Your conscience is not a guide for the church. Church is governed by the principles drawn from the scriptures, not by whatever is in your conscience and whatever you think you have liberty to do. Too much of, too much in my generation, that has been Mm -hmm. allowed for too much. This thing of saying, well, brother, you know, I, If the Lord told you to do it, I mean, you do whatever the Lord leads you to do. Well, you may do that. You may do that. But the church ought not be governed by these people, by their consciences. They should be controlled, says Jeter. They should be controlled by the scriptures, honestly and intelligently interpreted in other words we need to go back to the law of God on this matter and uh, if I could just mention by way of a a, a sidelight or an ancillary comment our whole nation today our whole nation has fallen into this same morass this attitude that, well, you know, now, I mean, that, that, that's for you. That's, if, if you're okay, I mean, you, you just be whatever you want to be. You, you can be what you want to be. And it's okay. It should be okay for you. And, and I'm going to honor you being whatever you say you are. That's a damnable heresy. The only thing that should govern human behavior, whether it's in the home, in the church, or in the nation, there's only one governing body for activity, for human activity, and that's the scriptures. That's the scriptures. And that's the standard we need to hold. And it doesn't matter what others, what anybody says they feel liberty to do. That ought not govern what the church does. And it should not govern where we stand. And it should not govern or affect us in our convictions. I have a real problem. We're all being bombarded daily these days. With election hopefuls and their speeches and their interviews and their, uh, controversies. We're just, and we're going to, I'm, I'm sure we're all going to want to move to another country before December. I mean, we're just tired of hearing it already. And it's just January. But one of the things that sickens me is to hear our Otherwise, ultra-conservative politicians making allowance for deviant conduct, crass, bold immorality and ungodliness and saying, I don't hold to that. I, I don't believe in that. But, but, but I believe everybody should have a right to do. Man has no right. To violate God's law. I have that written in the back of my Bible somewhere. I don't remember who said it. But you can put it down. Man has no civil right. To violate God's moral law. Period. And nobody running for office. Or in any other place. Even as a Christian on your job or in your place. You have no right to make allowance for people to violate God's law. You should stand. You should stand up and say, no, no, it's absolutely wrong. And uh, this was a problem all the way back to Jeter's day (laughs) and before. But Jeter was writing about it. That there are these people who say, well, I have I have a clean conscience. I have a clear conscience to do this. Well, be that as it may. i leave the Lord to judge you, and that's between you and the Lord. But as to the conduct of this church, we will not be governed by the liberty in your conscience. We'll be governed by the scriptures. We do wish for unity, but not at the cost of purity. It's the old proverbial camel's nose in the tent door. If he ever gets his nose in the tent door, he'll tear the whole tent down. And uh, we do want unity, but not at the expense Of throwing over the truth. He said. Jeter says on 117. It is a pity that all Christians cannot commune together. It is a pity. We should not be glad for that. We have no sympathy with those who believe that divisions among the church are good. They are evil and are fraught with incalculable mischiefs. It is certainly to be deplored that all Baptists cannot commune together according to the inspired order. Their identity of principles, interests, and aims should draw them together, but there can be no union and communion between these parties, without a yielding on one side or the other. The mountain must go to Mohammed, or Mohammed must come to the mountain. The denomination cannot yield its principles. They are grounded in its convictions, incorporated in its literature, and are the bond of its union. Brother John, these comments here as I was studying them can't help but be applied to that other subject uh, of marriage that has been discussed among us and the recent writings that you shared with us. You bought me the book. I, I thought how very much that these comments apply just as equally to that subject and many others. He said the denomination cannot yield its principles unfortunately it has they are grounded in its convictions incorporated in its literature and are the bond of its union no man nor set of men no arguments nor influence can swerve it from its long cherished doctrine The mountain cannot go to my hand. Strong words, but truth. We must stand whatever that means. Now just a short word about the views held from antiquity. Jeter said, A Pado-Baptist a church is no home for a Baptist. <laughs> oh my goodness. That strikes home with some folks not far from here. A Pado-Baptist church is no home for a Baptist. The truth is, said Jeter, no earnest Baptist can long remain in a Pado-Baptist church. It is only by ignoring his principles or keeping them in abeyance that he can be received into such a church. As he said earlier, somebody has to give. One or the other is going to have to compromise. The church or the individual. The church or the individual. And we say that the church ought not to compromise. Ought not to compromise. We should stand and stand firm in our principles, whatever the cost. Waylon, and as you know, I always... Have a disclaimer when I quote Whalen, Francis Whalen, I am no fan of Francis Whalen, but he says some good things, and I am glad to use them. When it comes to this matter of the individual having, saying he has liberty of conscience. Whalen said the right of private judgment, private judgment has been so generally advocated by Protestants that it does not require any special notice. The doctrine of perfect liberty of conscience and the entire separation of church from state may, however, deserve a passing remark. Now, I'll read more of this later when we deal with the matter of the Baptist distinctive of liberty and uh, liberty of conscience, etc. But I just read that portion of it because I want to say it to you again. Whatever we believe in, quote, liberty of conscience, and of course we will say more about that in the lectures ahead. But whatever about liberty of conscience, it does not dictate policies for church government. The liberty of your conscience cannot dictate policies for the corporate body. Those policies must be derived from an honest understanding and interpretation of the scriptures. Okay, and that's a very, I think that in our day, that's a very important point. Because we are constantly bombarded in our culture with an opposite philosophy. That says we ought to allow for everyone to be and do their own thing. But that's not the order of a Baptist church. We order our doings by the scriptures. And that's where it must stop. All right. So any questions comments further further comments of of instruction on this point All right We'll leave it at that I can assure you because of those Convictions, and they are convictions, for me, I hope they're convictions for you, but because of those convictions, uh, I doubt that we shall ever find ourselves running out of seats and having to buy more chairs for our congregation to meet. Uh, Some of the ministries, quote, and I'm putting that in quotes, for those that hear the tape don't see I'm putting that air quotes. So many churches today, and we were discussing some at the table, the lunch table today, uh, allow for one of the reasons they are so large and so, quote, successful, seem to be doing such great work, is they allow every member who comes in to exercise freely, What their individual conscience tells them is their ministry. And so there's a free-for-all. There's an an incorporating into the body all of the various uh, ministries because someone came and their conscience dictated that they have this ministry. And so the whole corporate body has to absorb that, not just absorb it, they have to make a place for it and supply openings for it. And we've come to an hour where even what should be sound Baptist churches are nothing but an amalgamation of everyone's free conscience. And it's, it's disgusting. It's time we stood with conviction with our forefathers.